Yeah, so we're going to be thinking about climate change, um, and basically this evening is going to take three parts. Um, so the first, we're going to think about the science, and I'm planning to be done with that by about half six, um, because we want to have enough time to dig into God's Word together and think about what he says about climate change. Um, and... Then we're going to think at the end a little bit about some possible actions. Um, so before we start, I've got a video for you. And that's just one summer. So let's just... Okay. So, obviously that's all shocking. And if you're anything like me then, well, I have a tendency not to watch the news unless something's flooded, because I'm kind of interested in rivers. Um, but uh, I didn't show you that video just to have you all go, oh my goodness, those poor people, that's, that's so awful. Um, because we all know that these things happen all the time, right? Well, yes uh, and no. So a recent World Meteorological Organization report um, that was published just this month states that the number of disasters has increased by a factor of five over the last 50 years, driven, they say, by a combination of climate change and improved reporting, because we know more about what's happening in the rest of the world. Um, so fortunately, they also report that improved early warnings and disaster management mean that the number of deaths actually went down by three three times, um, but these events still create, as you saw, huge disruption, economic costs, uh, people losing their whole houses, um, claiming on the insurance, that kind of thing. And of course, these costs are worst for countries and individuals who have the least. Um, so the UN um, Development Programme have stated that recovering from extreme events makes it less likely that poorer countries can improve the quality of life of their citizens. It's disrupting all the sorts of things that we want to see for people in, in poorer countries. So um, the UN has in fact listed climate action as one of its sustainable development goals because it's so important for changing um, lives of people in poor countries. Um, I also wanted to tell you about this report, which has also only just come out, which is a little bit irritating because I'm going to have to change all my lectures with about a month's warning, um, because I have to include it. This is a report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. Now, um, just a quick show of hands. Did anybody notice it coming out in the news? A few people. So, of course, it was all over my Twitter feed, because my algorithms are totally about this sort of stuff. Um, so I noticed it. Um, but let me explain to you. So the IPCC are the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. And they were set up in 1987, I think, by uh, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher uh, to report on the state of the science. So it was recognised back in the 1980, late 1980s that this was a potential problem. And um, since then, they've... Uh, um, put together six what they call assessment reports, which are unbelievably difficult to read. So they... <laughs> no, they really are. So they have um, 
well, you don't get them in paper format anymore. But when I first started at Birkbeck, I had to buy them for the library. And the assessment report comes in three parts. Each part was this thick. Um, so one is about the basic science, one is about the impacts, and one is about what we call mitigation, which is kind of how to fix it, basically. Um, and these are compiled by volunteers. So they're people like me who decide as well as a job that is ridiculously overloaded as it is. Um, they want to do some more work and they want to get together and write these summaries of all the research that everyone else has done. And then they're checked at multiple draft stages by representatives of governments all over the world, including oil-producing states. So they are actually really conservative in what they're able to say because there are lots of governments who don't want them to be saying that climate change is going to happen and that climate change is going to be bad. So, given that context, this is really surprising. They never say things like unequivocal, ever. This is the first ever assessment report that I've read that says it is unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, ocean and land. Um, the last one said highly likely. Uh, the one before that said something slightly less strongly worded. Um, and they're also saying, which links back to the video, that it's really clear now. We always kind of thought that those extreme events, particularly the heavy rainstorms in the summer, um, were related to a changing climate. But we really think that that's happening now, that human beings pumping stuff into the atmosphere is changing the weather that we experience. Okay, they also said that each of the last four decades has been successively warmer than any decade before it. So this decade, this last decade has been warmer than the one before, which was warmer than the one before, which was warmer than the one before. And global surface temperature, so this isn't what we experience, it's just a kind of average, um, was 1.1 degrees centigrade higher in the last decade than it was in, um, between 1850 and 1900 during the Victorian period. So, obviously, ooh, I'll stop doing that. Um, my task today is to help us all to work out what our response to climate change should be as Christians. Um, and I'm aware, as Sam was saying, that some of you might be sceptical about whether climate change is happening or whether it's caused by humans. And that some of you might think that it's not really a big problem and that we've got plenty of time to act. Um, so I'm just going to start up front by telling you exactly what I think. Um, neither of those. Um, so I'm a geographer, and as Sam was saying, um, I've been studying this stuff um, since just after the IPCC started producing their reports. So they started in 1990, and I went to university in 1993. Um, and I've been teaching a master's level climate change module since September 2009 um, because I, that, yeah, the job was to set up a master's in climate change, so I taught the module. Um, so I've studied it and I've come to the conclusion that there is really strong evidence, like the IPCC said, that the climate is changing and that humans are causing those changes and that we need to take really big scale action now. Um, so the first part of our time together, like I said, is about some science, 
And apologies for people who are doing GCSE geography or GCSE science, because you will have covered this, actually probably even um, year seven, eight, or nine, um, or somebody who studied this recently. Um, but I think some of us might need the repetition. Um, and then I've also had the opportunity to do some reading that I've intended to do for absolutely ages, um, digging into some of the theology around how we as Christians should respond to this, which I believe is an urgent global problem. And we'll look at some passages together later. So I'm talking when it's the science, you're talking when it's the Bible. Um, I'll just do a bit of summarising. Um, and it's my intention also to show that you actually don't need to agree with my understanding of the science to see that taking these actions is good for the world uh, that God has made. So moving away from a fossil fuel-based economy and a focus on humans as consumers rather than people, I'll keep doing that, um, doesn't just help us to reduce global temperatures and extreme weather events, it also has the scope to reduce inequality and improve quality of life more generally. Um, so I'm going to have a bit of time for questions at the end of the science, but if there's something that needs clarifying in order for you to follow the rest of it, just say so, okay? My students do that all the time. I won't be phased. It's totally fine. Um, okay, great. So we're going to start with the greenhouse effect. Okay, and this is GCSE level stuff. This is from BBC Bite Size. So um, the orange line is energy from the sun that's coming in, um, and that warms the earth. And then the red line is infrared radiation, um, so just other sort of energy, uh, that comes out again. And the purple wiggly bit around the edge is greenhouse gases, so carbon dioxide, methane, and various other ones we don't need to worry about. And they stop the infrared radiation going out. Um, and a small amount of that is actually a really good thing because if we didn't have that, the surface of the Earth would be at minus 15 degrees C, which, you know, clearly we couldn't live on. Not so good. Um, but the amount that we had in the atmosphere before the Industrial Revolution was kind of good. Um, 280 parts per million. Um, and that's gone up. And more, so more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere means higher temperatures at the Earth's surface. It's basic physics, um, which I'm not going to explain to you right now because I'm not a physicist. So um, you have to take my word for it. I trust the physicists. Okay. So, first question. So if that's the case, that we're worried that we might have too much greenhouse effect, um, have greenhouse gases been increasing? Well... In 1959, um, a chap called Keeling decided that really we ought to start measuring these. So um, this is an observatory in Hawaii. And um, they've been measuring carbon dioxide since 1959 and methane since a little bit later. Um, and you can see... You can see which way the curve's going, can't you? So the time is along the bottom and the amount is up the top. And um, not only is carbon dioxide increasing, but the rate at which it's increasing is increasing. So it's like it's going to take off on the runway. Methane's a bit stranger, but we don't need to go into that. It's still going up. 
Um, so geological evidence actually suggests that before 1850, carbon dioxide values were even lower at about 280 parts per million. Um, but in 2020, um, they were 431 parts per million. And that's all to do with... Um, well, actually, no. No spoilers for the next slide. Okay. Um, it all to do with this, which is really detailed, and you don't need to read all of it, I promise. Um, so, the real question here is, okay, greenhouse gases seem to have been going up. Have our emissions of greenhouse gases been going up? So, is there a, kind of, is there a link between changes in greenhouse gases, changes in temperature, and changes in human um, activity. And so we've got two graphs here in a helpful sort of fashion. Apologies for that. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, so the bottom one, the one that's going exponentially up, that is um, the total amount of carbon dioxide that we've been shoving into the atmosphere. Um, and it's split down by country. And so you can see that Europe and the United States have been pretty involved in this as a thing, historically, and then recently um, India and China and other parts of Asia have been taking their share, as it were. And Africa and South America don't uh, emit nearly as much. Um, and actually, interestingly... This acceleration can be seen in the fact that since 1988, we have put as much carbon dioxide into the atmosphere as we did for the whole time before that. From 1850 to 1988, is the same amount of carbon dioxide going into the atmosphere than from 1988 to now. So there's this huge acceleration in the amount of carbon dioxide we've been putting in the atmosphere. Uh, and you can see the little circle uh, pie chart. That's the technical term. Um, most of it's energy. So energy in buildings, um, energy in transport, energy in industry. Um, and we are burning coal, oil, gas to run power stations, which then run factories. And then, of course, we're running... Um, all of our transport off oil at the moment. So that's the main thing that we need to address um, if we're going to take action. There is also um, quite a lot of land use stuff. Um, and I was wondering actually whether James was going to be here because I know that um, Zara's been looking at the carbon footprint of their farm over the summer. Um, but most of us can't influence carbon emissions from land use. So um, most of us, it's about energy. Okay, and have temperatures been rising? So we've seen that uh, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere have been going up. The amount of um, fossil fuels we've been burning has been going up. Have temperatures been going up? Now, this graph here, again, we've got time along the bottom and um, change in temperature up the side. Obviously, temperature wasn't zero in 1850. Uh, so it was just a kind of change in temperature. And this is from a network of weather stations all over the world. 
and people have put it together um, in a way that is statistically valid. And you can see that there's an increase of 1.1 degrees C since 1850. Um, and the ups and downs just reflect the fact that the climate system is really complicated and you've got things like El Nino, which people might have heard of and might not. Red herring, don't worry. Um, so how do we know from looking at this data that humans are the problem? And what we can do is, you know those fancy weather maps with your rain going across when you, that you see on a weather forecast? Um, they come from computer models that um, put teeny-weeny little squares all over the Earth and um, do really complicated physics to move water and temperature around between those squares. And those models can be used to look at the past as well. And you can tell those models, you know what, we've just chucked a whole load of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. What's going to happen to the temperature? So these are models that we trust for weather forecasting that we're using to look at longer-term timescales. Uh, and what we have on this graph, the black line is what's actually happened, so that's from the network of weather stations. The blue line is what the models tell us if we don't put the greenhouse gases in. So they just kind of keep going, temperature pretty similar. The red line is what the models do if we put the greenhouse gases in. And, of course, the red line is right underneath the black line. Like you can't even see the red line because they're so close together. And so what that shows is that we can only make these patterns happen in these climate models if we add in all of those greenhouse gases we've been adding into the atmosphere. Are people with me? This is good. My students struggle with this, so you're doing well. Okay. I just want to show you that actually, even if it's not temperature, it's pretty bad to live in a world that is dependent on fossil fuels. Um, so we have a few things here. I'm just going to kind of go around clockwise. So in the top left, we've got a picture of the Deepwater Horizon, which you may remember... It was an oil rig in the Gulf of Mexico that um, went on fire, I want to say 2012, um, and all the oil spread everywhere, and there was all sorts of stuff around negligence, um, and you can see that that bird is not happy about being covered in oil, and when you extract oil, these things happen, because these are dangerous bits of kit. Um, which cause pollution if things go wrong. Um, and in fact, if we move on to the picture of the Nigerian fisherwomen, um, they cause problems even if things don't go wrong. So these are women who used to make a living fishing in the Niger Delta, and Chevron, who are an American firm, they extracted oil from the Niger Delta, and there's a whole bunch of stuff around... Um, them just burning some of the stuff they didn't need and people ending up with really bad respiratory problems, um, coughs and colds and asthma and stuff. Um, but it's also done terrible things to the fishing industry. Um, and, of course, you've got these fisherwomen who don't have much power 
and the oil company have a lot. Um, in the bottom, in the middle, I don't know if anyone remembers about that little girl in London who she, her family lived just off the South Circular and she died of an asthma attack because the pollution was above, above limits. Um, and then the cars. If we are all in our cars, we are isolated from each other. Um, so not only is congestion and traffic horrible, um, it also kills any sense of community. So there's lots of negatives, um, even apart from the temperature. Okay, let's see how we go. Ooh, I said half past, didn't I? Should have known that was optimistic. Right, so I'm just going to skip this one. It's even worse if you live in the Arctic. There we go. Um, so in the future, we're using these same models that I talked about um, to suggest what might happen. Now, of course, the main uncertainty in what might happen is what human beings are going to do and how much greenhouse gases they're going to continue to um, burn, uh, to create when they burn fossil fuels. So you've got these different scenarios. So the black line, again, we've got time along the bottom. The black line is what's happened so far. And then the coloured lines are possible futures. Um, now, in Paris, in 2015, uh, governments committed in the Paris Agreement, which, who's heard of the Paris Agreement? Ah, more people. Good. So the Paris Agreement's really useful, but it doesn't do everything, as we'll see. Um, governments committed to staying below a two-degree increase um, that's since 1850, so we've already had 1.1 degrees of that. So it's only another 0.9 to go. And they said, actually, it would be better if we stayed below 1.5, which is another 0.4. Um, and since I started teaching climate change 10 years ago, we, the number that, you know, when we look at that graph and I say, have a look, see how much temperature has increased since 1850, um, it was 0.8 when I started teaching, um, and it's 1.1 now. So in the last decade, I mean, there's a bit of noise in that, but in the last decade, we've had like 0.3 um, increase globally, and we've only got another 0.4 to go if we want to stay below 1.5. So these are really difficult targets, given the traje trajectory that we're currently on. Um, so, yeah, so you really need to be on the light blue line, basically. And if you're on the red line, things are going to get a lot worse. Um, but everything actually gets to 1.5 by 2030. Um, irrespective of what we do, we've got another 0.4 degrees temperature rise by 2030, um, which has implications, obviously. Gosh, everyone's looking like my students normally do by Christmas. Like, oh my goodness, we're all absolutely doomed. Don't worry, there are options. Okay, so um, this is just a picture of who's responsible for emitting greenhouse gases. Um, darker colours, more greenhouse gases. No surprise that it's um, countries with um, higher income and higher standard of living. And I really don't know about Mongolia. I need to check, sorry. We'll just skip over that. Um, and if you break it down by people, because, of course, in every country, some people are richer and some people are poorer, um, the top 
Um, Oxfam did an analysis in 2015, and they showed that the richest 10% of the world's population are responsible for about 50% of emissions. So that's emissions from individuals, like us. Uh, they took out emissions from governments, uh, which are, of course, um, doing things for individuals. So you might or might not. Anyway, um, and of course, the 10% of the richest world population, they mostly live in the countries on the previous slide. So if you're British, and I think we all are, yeah, are we all British? Yeah, and if you're relatively well off, obviously we're not going to have a conversation about who's relatively well off, um, but if you're British and relatively well off, then you're at the top of what they like to call the cocktail glass. So we need to have a think about um, our emissions. The richest 1% probably account for 30% of emissions, and I'm assuming most of us aren't in the richest 1%. Um, okay, take. Uh, this is from the same Oxfam report, and here, dark means vulnerable to climate change. And no real surprises, that's the opposite countries. So you've got a situation where half of the world's countries are emitting a lot of greenhouse gases, and half of the world's countries are particularly vulnerable to the effects of it, which is obviously really problematic. Um, and it's why there's a bunch of stuff in the news about um, whether or not the climate conference should go ahead because the poor countries can't be there. So what do we need to do now? This graph shows um, time along the bottom, uh, possible emissions in the future. The green is what we need to do to stick below 1.5. The top part of the pink triangle is what we're doing at the moment. And the bottom part of the pink triangle is what people are currently pledging to do. Um, now, that stops at 2040 because, or 2050 because the pledges don't go any further. Um, but basically, the key takeaway is if we want to keep warming below 1.5 by 2100, so the end of the century, we need to halve our global emissions by 2030. Huge, huge shift. And then drop to zero um, by 2050. And this is globally. And when you consider that there is no way Australia are going to stop coal, and coal mining anytime soon, um, and various other countries... You know, the whole of the Middle East, they have really complicated um, and not very effective governments, and they're dependent on oil. It's, it's really, really tricky. Um, but there we go. Um, it is what it is. Uh, national pledges for 2030, as you can see, they don't yet meet what the science says is needed, and then some countries aren't even meeting their pledges. So, just want to get on to climate justice. Um, so, we've seen that it's an international justice issue that is caused by the rich and disproportionately affects the poor. It's also caused by our actions now and will affect future generations, which is an intergenerational justice issue. And there's a concept called sustainable development. Has anybody heard of sustainable development? 
Yeah. So the idea is that the things we do now have to allow future generations to um, be okay. And quite interestingly, Calvin said this in 1563, um, talking about farming. If you're farming, don't wreck the soil, basically, because people are going to have to farm this land after you. Um, and the Brundtland Report in 1987 was um, a bit less eloquent. But they, again, they're talking about meeting the needs of the present, but thinking about future generations. So there's the science, which I've given you a whirlwind tour of, but actually it's a justice issue. So the actions of certain parts of the world are affecting other parts of the world and will affect future people. And I think we all know that God cares about justice, don't we? Like, if we've read any Old Testament prophets, we know that God cares about justice. Um, so, actually, the bits of the Bible that we're going to have a look at um, in a minute aren't so much about justice. They're about some other things. But I just want to put these um, verses in as examples of the fact that God cares uh, when people, when the poor are um, not getting justice um, from the rich. So I'll just read them out. Um, Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Deuteronomy 16, 20. Follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So... Just to, if your head is going a bit at this stage, just to say that I take 10 weeks of three hours per week to do this with my students. Um, and this is just like an overview. So um, if anybody's got any questions about the science, maybe five minutes or so of that. Yep. One thing you haven't mentioned is the sun, which is producing all this energy. Has sun activity altered during the recent and since you said that the, <clears throat> the calm dark side layer reflects the infrared back onto the earth, surely it does also re reflect infrared from the sun back out. So in that case, if the uh, layer increases, will it reflect, not reflect more sunlight away from it? Okay, so let's take those two separately. So the first um, is about sunspot activity. And you're right, it does vary. The amount of uh, sunlight coming in from the sun um, varies, but um, it's got an 11-year cycle, so it doesn't have a trend. Um, so that graph that I showed with the observed um, temperature change and then the two modelling results, the sunspots are included in the blue line that doesn't match what we see. Um, so although there is some... 
climate change that can be attributed to that. It's not a strong enough effect to give th that exponential upward rise. Um, in terms of the greenhouse effect, um, I'm just trying to decide how much complicated physics to go into. Um, so, there's two different types of energy, the stuff coming in and the stuff going out, and they have to balance at the top of the atmosphere. Um, and the stuff coming in goes straight through the greenhouse gases because of physics, um, and the stuff going out doesn't. So, they behave differently, um, and it's not actually reflection. It's really complicated in my students' heads to just go... Poof! when I t tell them about it. And I, I'm happy to do that one-to-one, -one, but I think I probably won't inflict it on the rest of the room, if that's okay. How does the greenhouse gas thing match with the ozone layer and the whole the ozone layer? Yeah, so they're totally different. Um, so the ozone layer is about um, which wavelengths of visible light come through and uh, the harmful ones coming, being able to come through because they normally get stopped by the ozone layer. Um, yeah, Bernard. You haven't mentioned the, the cyclical um, global warming every 10,000. There's no doubt what you, you said is, is right. We have a fact. But it does seem that the global warming took place 10,000 BC, the last bit, that we're now um, coming to, to a, a time that another fact is there's a natural warming anyway? Um, yeah, so there's some debate. So this is about the fact that on larger timescales, we get cycles between um, glacial periods when you have ice over the whole of the Northern Hemisphere and um, interglacial periods like the present day. Um, and that's driven by the fact that the Earth's orbit is a bit wonky. Um, and so on longer timescales, um, you get different, uh, you get changes in the pattern of sunlight, but you don't get changes in the amount of sunlight. Um, I, nobody has decided which, um, which of the past interglacials we're most like, uh, and therefore there's some debate about whether we are actually coming to the end of an interglacial or not. Um, but... Carbon dioxide levels have never been higher than 280 parts per million for the last 800,000 years. We know because we've got them measured in ice cores. Um, so it is an effect, but I think we're in uncharted territory, basically. Yeah. Ava? How did climate change affect us? How will it affect us? Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, I'm expecting summers to get warmer. I'm expecting there to be more thunderstorms in the summer because there's more water. So warmer air can hold more water and therefore you can have more storms, um, which means more flooding, like they were showing in London and Belgium and Germany. Um, I think the other way it will affect us is more people from parts of the world that will be hard to live in coming to Europe um, 
and potentially more political instability in those parts of the world because they as they become harder to live in. Um, but I think, to be honest, Ava, our government's got quite a lot of money and a lot of the problems, we will be kind of cushioned from them. It's people who live in countries where governments have less money that will see the impact most. Yeah. I think things like the ice melting and stuff, seas rising as well. Yeah, so seas, I didn't even go into that. Uh, seas will rise um, for two reasons. One, warmer water takes up more space. Um, so that's, yeah, 0.1 degrees per, um, oh, I can't remember. I give that in week nine, I haven't got there yet. Um, and, and also ice sheets melting, yeah. And... Um, Antarctica is fairly safe. Uh, well, the big bit, not the West Antarctic Peninsula, that's a bit kind of iffy. Um, and Greenland has been melting a lot recently. Um, but we don't quite know what the baseline is. So we don't know what normally happens in a warm period. Um, yeah. Feeling like we should move on to the Bible. Can we do it one to one later? Because um, I do want to get onto the Bible. Um, because I could talk about the science all day. Um, okay, so what does the Bible say? So um, if we could, on our tables, um, have a look at Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. Um, so this passage is about Jesus and his relationship with the world. Um, and hopefully the questions are self-explanatory. And be ready for the fact that the final question is the one I'm going to ask you to tell us what your answer is. So make sure you get to the final question. Um, yeah, so I'm going to give you about five minutes to discuss that. Um, yeah, so what I um, got um, from looking at this passage is at every stage of the gospel message, God's creation is included. So... Um, Jesus didn't just make humans, he made all things. Um, and so the created world is important, um, as we said, and we're part of it. Um, and actually all things are made for him. I mean, we enjoy living in the world, it's a lovely place to live, but it's made for him. We're just tenants, I heard one group talking about being tenants. Um, and actually if Jesus wasn't still working and sustaining, so as it says um, in verse 17... In him, all things hold together. The whole created order would stop holding together. Um, I really like this quote from one of the books that I read, which I would strongly recommend. It's actually quite an easy read. Um, he says, without Jesus, all things fall apart. God has entrusted human beings with creation's care. When we fail to put Jesus at the centre of our thought and behaviour, is it any wonder that the environment falls apart. If we treat Earth's resources as if they exist for us and forget they were made for Jesus, should we be surprised if things go wrong? And then um, in verse 20, he reconciled to himself all things. So he's got a plan, not just for us. I mean, we're really excited about his plan for us to bring us uh, back into relationship with him and to live with him forever. But actually, that's the same with creation. So, has anyone read The Last Battle? 
it's just fantastic, isn't it? Just that sense of the whole of Narnia and the whole of Britain, which is obviously their country, um, and all the other countries, renewed and made new and under the rule of Aslan. Um, and that's what we're talking about here. So it's not just us who are being brought back into relationship. It's everything that God has created because he loves it and he's got a plan for it. Okay, now we're in Romans. This is slightly less encouraging. So these verses describe what life is like for us and for creation in the kind of in-between times. So after Jesus has come for the first time and before he comes back for a second time. So um, again, the question at the bottom is the question that I'll be asking for feedback from. And you've got five minutes. Yeah, and that's a fantastic hope, isn't it? Um, What I thought was really interesting when I was reading the books that I read ahead of this was that actually the word used for new creation um, in Revelation is renewed. So it is exactly like... So I realised I didn't explain the last battle for the people who haven't read it. Um, It's a book at the end of the Narnia series, which is The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And it's the end of time, basically. Um, And it's the same world that they've known, but it's different and better. Um, And I think that's the the meaning there. Yeah, so we were talking about greed. Lots of groups were talking about greed. Um, And there's this real sense in this passage that it's our greed, not not particularly as individuals, but our greed as a whole society, um, so corporate sin, so everybody together, um, affects the world that God has made. So it's frustrated in verse 20. It's in bondage to decay, as Bernard was saying. It's groaning. And, but there is a hope for the future, as we just discussed, um, because there's future freedom. And there's real echoes here of... Um, in the Old Testament, when Israel were living in the special land that God had given for them, um, when they sinned, things went wrong in the land. There were famines, there were um, scarcity. Um, and this isn't like an eco-prosperity gospel, you were glad to hear. Um, so it's not that we look after the world and everything will be fine, because there's an element of randomness to it. It's more a general principle, like in the book of Proverbs, like you kind of do this and that kind of happens, much more like that. Um, And as we've just discussed, we've got this global economy that's built on greed. Um, And of course, those who are poor are more vulnerable, so then it becomes injustice. Um, And this is really important, isn't it? I mean, we're really used to the idea that our sinfulness, you know, when we live our way rather than God's way, breaks our relationship not only with God but with the people around us. So this is just really adding an extra element into that. Um, This passage and the passage from Colossians show that wider consequence of our sin for the world that we live in that God has created. Um, So we're going to look next at how we can address the problem. Um, But it's important that we don't think that that's how God is going to reconcile the world to himself. God is going to reconcile all things to himself, irrespective of whether or not we do anything about the climate crisis. Um, But there are reasons to act. Um, So if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, then what God is calling you to is not to make amends for 
rebelling against him by looking after his creation better um, because he's going to re- reconcile the world to himself. himself. Um, so dealing with the environmental effects of our corporate sinfulness is one of the things we need to address once we become a Christian. It's kind of part of living a wider godly life, um, but it's not in any way, shape or form the way we um, fix our relationship with God. So how should we live now? Jenny's spoiler is coming up. Um, So we've seen what the Bible says uh, about why environmental degradation and climate change are a result of humanity trying to do things their own way rather than God's. Um, But what should Christians do now? Well, part of loving God is loving and caring for his creation, which he loves. Um, And we do this because we've been created in the image of God. A lot of us are familiar with the idea that you look at us and you can see parts of what God is like. What was actually really interesting is this idea of the image of God, George will correct me if I'm wrong, um, was really common with Near Eastern rulers. So the idea was that they were ruling as God's representative and they were accountable to him. So it's not just that some of the things we're like, um, some of the ways in which we act are like how God is, is actually that idea that we are God's representative on earth. Um, and our role is to be fruitful and increase in number, um, currently 7 billion, um, to fill the earth and to subdue it. Now, sub- that word subdue is one of these words that lots of people have heard differently from how the Bible text intended it. Um, it's an idea of the creation of order. So, like, the whole of Genesis is about how ordered God's creation is. And actually, that word subdue is more about making it orderly and able to support humans than about exploiting it. Um, And then, of course, there's an explicit example uh, command to work the land and take care of it. Um, So, love God by loving his creation, but love our neighbour as well. And this is our final discussion um, from Philippians 2, verses 3 to 7. Brilliant. Thank you. So, um, just to finish off, I'm aware of time. Um, you, Hazel was very worried about the pieces of paper. She thought there was going to be a test. So, eyes down. Ten minutes. No. Um, so, on the pieces of paper, um, don't feel like you need to fill all of them up. What sorts of things do people do to try and make a difference to environmental issues or, and climate change? Uh, write down a few. I'm going to ask you to bring your three. Once you've got three that you're happy with, um, you're going to pop them on the um, string, but I'll explain that in about five minutes. Things you could do. Thank you for the clarification. Brilliant. Loads of ideas. In fact, this, it's nearly going to fall over under the weight of our good intentions. Um, <laughs> so, down this end, we've got things that will make less of a difference, and up this end, things that will make more of a difference. So, let's see. We have 
Oh, walk more. I think that sh should actually be a bit further on, as long as you walk a lot more, obviously. Leave your car at home. Turn the thermostat down and wear more clothes. Yeah. Shower rather than bathing. That depends on the antiquity of your shower. So some showers are more efficient than others. Uh, buying food out of season. Yeah, that definitely causes trouble. Measure your carbon footprint. So this is down at this end because um, it doesn't make that much difference just to measure it. But once you've measured it, you can work out what changes you might want to make. Um, and the plan is that we will do that as a church um, at some point. Uh, go vegan because... <laughs> okay. <laughs> it may not be something you want to do, but it can make a difference to your carbon footprint. Buy an electric car. Yes, but keep it for a long time because... There's carbon that goes into making it, and the batteries are full of things that you have to mine out of the ground, and a lot of those mines are quite dirty. Uh, solar panels, yep, they're good, but also full of things you have to mine out of the ground. Turn lights and switches off, probably further along. Give to charity. Eat less meat, so you don't have to go completely vegan, Mary. Uh, recycling, yep, so like full-on upcycling only ever buying second-hand stuff. That actually makes it really good use of the world's resources. Buy local. Drive and fly less. Lobby politicians on political decisions for the world. So that's where we start getting into the difference between individuals and government. So we can't make decisions for the government, but we can ask them to do certain things. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't read that. It's not very many. Um, yeah, low-carbon pensions is one that I thought of um, because our pension is the biggest investment that any of us have. And some of us, like those of us who work in the NHS or other public sectors, we don't have much control over what they invest our pensions in. Um, we can sign a petition every so often. But, um, but people who are looking after their own pension investments could look for a low-carbon alternative. Um, and... Given that we're in a world where money talks, that could make quite a big difference if everyone does it. Um, I'm yet to work out how easy it is. Um, oh, yeah, we're a church family. We could lend each other money to invest in low-carbon technology, to change our boiler or whatever. Uh, lobby governments, charity shops, um, heart changing in regards to our greed, absolutely. Don't cover what you don't need. Excellent. That's a godliness thing as well, obviously. Um, use less water. Yeah, perfect. So there's lots of ideas there. And some of them are easier than others. And perhaps we might choose to try and do something new, get into a new good habit... Every three months, every six months is probably more realistic. Um, and it's half past. So I think we should stop there. And I'll just pray for us.